Hello everyone and welcome to So I've Been Told. I think this is episode is this is 29 almost to uh, the big 30 and my guest yeah. is Leonor Ortega Till of Five Iron Frenzy and the Fast Feeling. I have been a huge Five Iron Frenzy fan since I was like a middle schooler. I and I still I've revisited this band and I still freaking love what they do. Sorry about the uh the little one in the background making noise. I'm trying to trying to record this intro while hanging out with he and his brother and you know, they I came in this room to be alone and they followed here and probably just heard a cat as well crazy times we're living in i'm not even going to talk about it because the rest of the world is talking too much but anyway i do want to let you know there is a little mistake i made in this episode uh when we were talking about asian man records i got a little confused and mentioned the ataris the ataris never released anything on asian man that was Kung Fu Records that I was thinking of. But I still do love Asian Man Records and Skank and Pickle and kind of geeked out about getting a note from Mike Park when I got the 5 Iron DVD. Anyway, uh, during this episode, you're going to hear a little clip of Sucker Punch by 5 Iron Frenzy. And yeah, I'll talk to you guys after you listen to my conversation with Leonor. Thanks so much. Leonor, thank you so much for taking time out of what I'm sure is a busy schedule to, you know, talk over the internet. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, let's let's go back to the beginning. Can you tell me about how you got into uh, punk and underground music? Oh, yeah, that's an amazing story. So I was 16 years old, and I was at a Denny's late at night wearing a Primus t-shirt, really long hair, some combat boots, and I was at the Denny's in Greeley, Colorado, and I walked to go to the restroom, and I saw a guy with a mohawk, and he said, hey, chick, what do you think about flag burning? And I was like, what? I was super <laughs> intrigued, but also kind of overwhelmed. And he was this college kid. And right off the bat, we kind of hit it off and became friends. And within about three months, I had a green mohawk, my first pair of cherry Doc Martens, and went to a uh, legit... Bad Religion Green Day show. Oh, awesome! <laughs> and and, and, and basically initiated myself into punk rock. Nice. What what era of Bad Religion and Green Day was that? Uh that was nineteen ninety three, maybe oh, or ninety two. Wow. Yeah, it was. It was before. Um, it was Kerplunk. Kerplunk days before Dookie. Cool. Nice. And and I know you know I, I know probably more than most of the people listening because I've seen the documentary about Five Iron and all that. But so. Uh, Mike is your cousin, is that correct? So did he get into he is, a bit? Yeah, he's my second cousin. We met when we were 12 at church camp, and we both realized we had the same last name, which my maiden last name is Ortega. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you're Ortega, I'm Ortega. And we did some talking and found out that our grandpas are brothers. Okay, cool. And was he into music before? Did he play any role in, in your getting into it, or that was just kind oh, of... Oh, man, yes. He was... He was in a Christian metal band called Exhumator, mm-hmm. which means to exhume, take out of the grave. And he was in that with Reese and Keith of Five Iron Frenzy. And Scott was also in that band for a bit, and maybe even Andy. But they decided to make a ska side project, 
which became Five Iron Frenzy. So yeah, Micah was way into metal, total metalhead, and I used to go to all the Eximator shows, so I was the weird punk chick backstage that would pray with the band. And then they found out I played saxophone, and it was going to be a good mix, and so I just joined the band even without a tryout. I joined Five Iron Frenzy my senior year of high school, which was 1995. Okay. And were you the first horn player to join the bands? No, I think Brad was in it before, but... um, yeah, so Brad was in it before, and then Dennis came after me. Okay, so you guys, you joined the band in 95, and then it was, what was it, 97 when you released the first record? I think 96 or 97. Yeah. We, we tried to record it twice. We tried once at our punk house, which is where we made the 7-inch. Uh, it's funny, but not very creative. We mm-hmm. actually recorded that in the punk house, the little record. And then we um, recorded in New Mexico, but all those tapes were lost. So we had to record when we got signed with Five Minute Walk, and that might have been, might have been '97. Yeah, we did that album in two weeks, the whole album. Okay. Yeah. And it kind of sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I still love that record. I yeah, recently was too. listening to it again. So. <laughs> hey, wait, real quick. Can you believe that the first song out of the gate was the Old West, where we talk about let's rape and kill and steal? Who does that on a Christian album? It was it was intense for you know yeah. for sure, especially first track. Right, let's talk about swinging. Manifest Destiny right off the bat. If you don't know what we're <laughs> about then, you don't know what we're about now. <laughs> Did you guys receive much pushback ever? No, nobody had an idea back then. Not really, not really. Yeah. Because, I mean, a few, like maybe some homeschool moms were onto it, but they were just so happy that their kids were listening to quote-unquote Christian music that they didn't really care. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's one thing I've always, I mean, I, I look back over my kind of musical journey, and I see how, like, Five Iron was really influential on a lot of my views on stuff because you guys were, you know, critical of, you know, kind of American Christianity and American, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. politics all the way through. Um, so it was, you know, you know it uh, definitely made an impact on me, uh, you know, growing up in rural central Pennsylvania, for yeah. sure. I think so. I mean, honestly, it was hard and sometimes to make big decisions as far as lyrics because we had Calvinists, Armenians, Presbyterians, Church of God, Church of Christ, Legalistic, Assemblies of God, Pentecostals. We had, you know, you're a ska band, so you have eight people from different <laughs> point of view. Politically, we have socialists, we have Republicans, we have Democrats, we have Hispanics, we have wasps, everything. And so to make an album where we all can sign off on the lyrics emotionally, spiritually, and politically, that is saying a lot. And even today, we have to um, lyrically look at everything and say we can all stand behind it. Yeah, which I mean, I think that's that's amazing, you know, and that you've been able to put out so much material that, you know, at least at the time, you guys all co-signed, you know, when you released it. Well, half of it has to just be like ridiculous right like kitty doggy and pants songs <laughs> or, or the other take as far as like part of it is the political stuff but then the other side to the coin is being a nerd like for all of us in five iron we identify as the left out the underground the right-brained creative weird you know D back in the crowd kid like the sucker punched kid that was all of us the band keep the nerd we still are we still identify as that no matter if you're quote-unquote cool you still identify as the underdog. Yeah.
For sure. So, can you, I mean, like I said, I mean, I know we're kind of going over stuff that's also in the documentary, but for anybody who hasn't watched, you know, spent the, whatever, it was a long documentary. It's uh, too long. It's three hours. It's too long. I mean, it's too long. I, Let's be honest. I mean, I loved it. I, I'm like, <laughs> that's, that's like everything I love. I love the detailed stuff and like your guys' documentary and that, that Zayo documentary. That, the right. Zayo documentary is even longer can, than yours. Can I so. tell you a secret about the documentary? Of course. So when we were making it, Reese was, you know, Reese agreed to do this because it was one of those massive take-on projects that he loves to agree to do that are really hard for follow-through. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, halfway through, we discovered that we had all these foot this footage in our mind that we're like, we know it exists, but where is it? Where are those VHS tapes? And so I went back to the original band house in Denver where we first lived before we moved to Den uh, Dennis's nicer band house. Mm -hmm. And I knocked on the door and all this these newer punk rockers had taken it over. And I was like, you guys found any VHS tapes? And in fact, they had. And they had a stack there. And it's, half of them were labeled because they had taken the time to watch them. And they said, half of them would say porn. And the other half would say <laughs> Christian shit. And we took all the Christian shit ones. And those were our tapes. And they really were our shows. And so... Thank the Lord that they didn't throw those away because that was our life. That yeah. is actually what became the footage, a lot of it, for the Five Iron DVD. Yeah. Or, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys, do you guys sell a lot of copies of the of the documentary? I think that Mike Park stopped making them. Mike Park from Asia Man Records was making them and printing them. Yeah. And unless we tell him otherwise, he won't make any more, and I don't think there's a lot of demand. But if there is, we could probably make more. We just, we don't think in terms of... Uh, sales <laughs> yeah. we're really bad at that stuff so if someone's like i want to buy something we're like yeah you kind of have to beg us to make it <laughs> we just don't think that way so yeah we could probably make more have you like has it been released anywhere as far as no know, we used to just tour with them honestly other than yeah. you can look on asian man records but he's probably out of print um again like it's the same thing with him if we say we want more he could make more yeah. but it's like do people want it i don't know it's three hours long <laughs> I'm surprised, I mean, I haven't checked, but somebody, I'm surprised nobody's, like, taking the time to put it on YouTube or something like that. I feel like... Oh, no, don't suggest that. Oh, I'm not suggesting it. I'm just... <laughs> I'm not suggesting it. You're making it. I'm just, job even worse, dude. <laughs> I'm just surprised that somebody hasn't yet. Because uh, that's three hours. No yeah. one, it's not that interesting, trust me. Well, I mean... And then the worst is, did you watch it with the, like, the background vocals that we did and the behind-the-scenes stuff? I, I did at one point, yeah. Oh, well, I that's think I, even worse. I think I put it on and went and did other things while it was kind of playing in the background. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like a glorious podcast before those were cool, right? Like yeah. what you're doing here. Exactly. Right. Uh, I mean, I, there's, I'm sure there's people that are you know people are interested. I mean, you guys did that. Uh, so what well, you guys set a record for the for that? Uh, it's not not uh, the Kickstarter. That, I don't know why I couldn't think of the word Kickstarter. Yeah, let's. So it was weird. We put it out there. It was kind of like. I had known about a Kickstarter because I had done it before, and I mentioned it to the guys, and most of them had heard about it, but we weren't sure, so we put it out there for 60 days to raise 30000 mm -hmm. and we raised over 30000 in less than 60 minutes. Yeah. And then it just kept going and going and going <laughs> and going, and so it was like 60 days, and my pastor was calling me being like, how much is too much? And I'm like, would you say that if people were donating to the church? <laughs> I don't think so. So we just let it run its course, and it was like over two hundred thousand, and it got to be in the New York Times. And at the time, it was the biggest Kickstarter ever. Yeah, I mean, you guys always, you know, it's, I think it's funny how you guys always kind of play up being underdogs, and yet <laughs> al along the way, you guys have just kind of picked up such a a rabid 
you know, group of weirdo fan base. Right, right. It was cool to get that money, though, because each of us got $5,000 to get new equipment, so it was the first mm-hmm. time I got to buy a really top-of-the-line, other-than-a-pawn-shop saxophone mm-hmm. and wonderful Nike shoes and orthotics. Thank the Lord. I can really <laughs> rock out now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, I mean, kind of backing up, we jumped around a little bit, but uh, backing up, can you tell me a little bit about some touring experiences, um, you know, kind of talking about touring in the, you know, kind of the, the Christian market compared to touring just in yeah, general so market? Yeah, we, we kind of made, well, in the beginning, we weren't used to touring, so the first couple tours were just, um, we had a minivan and another car, and we drove out, and the first one was kind of playing some secular shows with Meal Ticket and Save Ferris, so mm-hmm. some punk bands, you know. And we tried to open up, I think maybe even Supertones around that show for a Christian festival, but our drummer crowd surfed and we were praying backstage so we didn't hear the announcement about no crowd surfing. So we <laughs> drove all the way to California to play like five songs and then got cut because the pastor was like, nope, that's it. Um, but touring was really weird for us in the beginning because... You don't really know whether people are going to like you or not. And the first time we played in Kansas City at this tiny little basement of a ghetto church, people started singing our song to us, and we almost stopped playing out of shock. That was before the internet. This is 1996. And we're like, people know the words to our song? Crazy. (laughs) Um, Very soon we started touring with the label, which was fun. But it was more fun when we bought a school bus and we went on Warp Tour. So I think that was 2002, maybe? No. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, we, we did go on work tour for a while, and that was fun. That was kind of fun, honestly. We fought a lot because we were exhausted and tired mm-hmm. and hungry. We toured a lot with Switchfoot. Switchfoot. We toured a lot with Reliant K and the W's, a mm-hmm. lot. Um, and then we went on a tour in 1998 called Ska Against Racism with mm-hmm. Toasters, Less Than Jake, Blue Meanies. That was like our big secular break kind of tour. Yeah. Um, I was the only female out of 36 musicians so that was pretty epic so did that uh you know did that present any awkward situations or oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> this is this is the beginning of Leon or jeff teaching dudes in secular bands what a friend zone means like <laughs> dudes that are in these cool bands that think every single chick's gonna make out with you or like you and for them to be like why are you paying attention to me and i'm like because you're a person very confusing um so yeah, it was it was a little new for some of the guys and probably hurt their egos, but it was really cool at the end of you know three months to say I have these really good friendships that I still have with a lot of those guys in those bands. Yeah, do you think that things have gotten easier or progressed at all as far as um, women in touring bands? You think it's or do you think it just is maybe? kind of performatively better, but that's still under the surface is just, uh, yeah, just as no, weird. I don't think it's too much better. I think it's, um, maybe 5% better. I think that more women are taking interest in being performers and musicians, which is mm-hmm. awesome because more parents are open-minded. And one of the reasons that we don't have a lot of girl musicians is because we don't want to look like idiots and play drums really loud and badly. But, you know, plus we're social creatures. So a lot of women like to hang out with other women at the age that boys are isolating themselves and perfecting their instruments, right? Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of girls are taking on instruments now, which is really cool. They've developed the craft. The hard part is the industry. And the Mm -hmm. industry really does, even when, like, even a few months ago, I showed up at a venue, and the first thing the people there backstage say is, let me show you where to set up merch. Mm -hmm. 
and they're just not ready for women to be in the band and they're not ready for um there's just not that many women in the bands and the vibe kind of still is a little surprised by it and not sure what to do with it because it is a different energy and it is a different respect level um but i'm but i'm hopeful i think things will change and can change but it's still not completely there yeah did you meet your husband did you meet your husband through the band or was that uh (laughs) i did according to him but i don't remember (laughs) (laughs) i mean honestly he was a fanboy like he's five years younger than me and the first time I met him at Scum of the Earth Church in Denver, I said, I'm Jeff, and he said, I know. And we were friends for like a year before we dated and got married a couple years after that. But yeah, he was a big Five Iron fan, but he, he admitted to me, he's like, I wasn't into the horns. He's like, I wanted to watch Scott, and I was into the guitars, and I started a ska band because of Five Iron. So I don't like to tell talk to him about that past because it's like our deep, dark secret. <laughs> but he actually went on tour with Ropers, so he joined okay. when Reese made a band called Roper after Five Iron. My husband and my brother-in-law toured with them for a while, oh, cool. so that was kind of cool. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Scum of the Earth Church. Can you talk about your involvement with you know planting that and just kind of the band's yeah. involvement with with Scum? It was weird at the beginning because we had a like like I said a ghetto band house downtown Denver, and in the beginning, a lot of us. Um, well, we took Christianity very seriously and very missional. So we let, you know, homeless people stay at the house. We had weekly Bible studies. We had communion with Twinkies and grape soda because we couldn't afford anything else <laughs> from the gas station. And we were dead, dead, dead serious. Like that became yeah. the blood and the body of Christ. <laughs> we were we were broke, but we were very, very serious. Um, but eventually the Bible study grew. And for about four years, we would meet um, in the basement of a Presbyterian church. And they were really kind and loving. And in 2000... We created Scum of the Earth Church with, at the beginning, uh, Reese was one of the, was the associate pastor and preacher. I was just a behind the scenes person that kind of ran the arts ministry. Brad was on staff, Micah, Andy was very involved. Uh, Keith and his wife did worship. Mm -hmm. Um, And years later, everyone eventually left for different reasons, but I stayed on it for 16 years. I I became licensed as a pastor. I became the director of the women's ministry Mm -hmm. and became a preacher. Like, so that really had a lot to do with my growth. A lot of the guys in Five Iron met their wives through Scum of the Earth um, and also made amazing friends and community through there. So it's just part of the DNA, and it still goes on today even though none of us are on staff there. So right now, if you go to Denver, Scum of the Earth, there's a skate ramp in it, and it has a roller derby shop. (laughs) So it's a legit church. It's got an art venue, all these cool things going on. But, you know, now at age 43, I'm way too old. <laughs> yeah, the actually, average age is like much younger than me. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually have, have a friend from Rochester who lived out there in Denver for a while, and uh, was going to going to Scum. So, uh, yeah, you know, because you said Scum, right? It's not weird. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's twenty years old, dude. In twenty twenty, Scum of the Earth became twenty years wow. old. Right? That's weird. <laughs> yeah, kind of backtracking a little bit, uh, you know. I remember when I ordered, the, this is just kind of a random thought, I'm known backtracking, and this is all in all sorts of weird order, but whatever. Uh, we're just hanging out. <laughs> um, when I got my DVD of the documentary, and I saw that it was actually Mike, that it was actually Mike Park, that like, he like wrote a note in it, and I was right. just like, this is like Mike Park from Asian Man Records, that like, oh, yeah. hand wrote this, because I mean, I was, you know, like just the middle school kid who was obsessed with the Ataris and mm-hmm. all of the stuff that was coming out on Asian Man in the in the ni- you know late 90s. So I definitely geeked out about that one a little bit. 
Oh, yeah. First time I met him, I was like, I met this guy, Chris Baker, and I went up to Chris Baker, and he always laughs because we're friends now. But my first words to him are, oh, is that Mike Park? <laughs> <laughs> and, and same, like Skank and Pickle, I was 15 the first time I saw Skank and Pickle play in Greeley, Colorado, and I was, my mind was blown. Yeah. And a uh, big fan of Alkaline Trio, you know, we yeah. friends with them. Like, I've had house parties where they come, and it's weird because, like, POD or, you know, Switchfoot or a lot of bands, I know that they go, they're on a big pedestal and they play, you know, massive venues or whatever, but they're still my friends. All these yeah. guys, like, if they're coming through, they'll text me and be like, playing Red Rocks, you want to come? Or whatever. Yes. Like, just all these guys. They're just the real deal. Yeah. I met Sonny from POD. He was, he wasn't, he was just like kind of along on a, it was like one of those whosoever tours. Right. Uh, he wasn't even performing and he was literally the nicest dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, like invited us to come he was like if you're ever in san diego come to my house for a barbecue totally uh, <laughs> so yeah i mean obviously there's tons of stuff we could talk about with five iron but i know that you've been doing other stuff some other things Can you tell me what what's the fast feeling who's all in that ah yeah so basically scott had written a lot of songs that were gonna possibly be five iron songs that guy just cannot stop writing songs <laughs> which is really a beautiful gift that he has and I hope he never takes it for granted, because I don't. And I was looking at them, and Reese hadn't written lyrics on them, because there's way too many. Like, there's a lot. And one mm-hmm. day I was just messing around with my voice memo, and I started singing different lyrics over them, just kind of filler crap, instead, in case Reese would want to, you know, write better lyrics on them. Mm-hmm. And I texted him to Scott, and he's like, these are cool melodies. And I kept doing it that day, and by the end of that day, back and forth and back and forth, he's like, do you want to come over and record some of these? I was like, me singing? And he's like, yeah. I mean, he's got the equipment. And I was like, yeah, let's see what what happens. So we did that. And it became pretty clear that these songs were cool and that I could write melodies. And uh, Andy came on board and actually became one of the main lyricists also Mm -hmm. for the project. And Scott had been working with uh, Matt uh, from 117, Matt Langston. And he's an amazing writer as far as synth pop goes. Amazing. And Scott and Matt had a great vibe and worked together well. And it was pushing Scott uh, to try new kinds of music like synth and techno and all these different beats and electronic drums. And so we just went for it. We were like, why not try? And Andy came up with the name because he said when he was a little kid, he'd get so hyper, he had this thing he called the fast feeling. (laughs) Like when his heart would go too fast. Yeah. (laughs) And it just kind of worked. And so we're not really, we're not a live band. We just put out an album and Mm -hmm. we're really proud of the songs. They sound good. And if anyone wants to buy an album, I have tons of CDs in my basement and some (laughs) vinyl. I'd love to get rid of them. And I'm really proud of the songs. Like they're like, honestly, they're really good. Yeah, is that something? Is that always just going to be a recorded project? You don't, you don't oh, have yeah. any plans. To oh yeah, play because live? we want to do Five Iron. Yeah. we want to do Five Iron. We take Five Iron very seriously, and I'm not going to say we're working on a new album, but you know, the things I don't say is probably what I'm saying. <laughs> and so, we only have so many hours in the day, and I don't. If there's anything I want Scott to focus on is is connecting with Reese and writing these amazing songs that we can vote on the lyrics and agree on and change the world politically, like we need to do once again very soon. <laughs> And you guys, you guys are all spread out across the country now. Is that that correct? Kind of. There's five of us in Denver. Okay. So Scott, me, Brad, Micah, and Andy live in Denver. So Reese lives in Virginia. Dennis is in New Jersey and works in New York. And Sunny's okay. in LA area. So, okay. so the five of us hold down the practices, and yeah. the rest of them are good enough. <laughs> yeah. Or or one of them's not good enough, but he's funny. <laughs> nice. Very cool. Um. 
So do you guys have do you guys have tours coming? Oh, you guys don't really. You just kind of well, mostly do. I mean, what the right? heck with this virus? What do you yeah. think, dude? Are you kind of laying low? Uh, I mean, I'm super weird, but I'm I'm in between jobs. But my next like temp thing I've got coming up is <laughs> being one of the Easter bunnies at the mall. Oh, you're excited. So because you have gloves on. <laughs> That, so I'm wondering, like, how that's going to go. Uh, and also, Is everything covered on you? Everything's like covered, so I should, be, I should be okay. Okay. <laughs> I think you should do that. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it. It's it's uh, right. just pretty silly. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's strange. Everything's getting canceled, and I, I feel like it's, you know, it's definitely not like anything... I've been around like that. I've no, never, yeah. never, and I'm really bummed because I uh, I had a lot of plans to travel and visit people, but you kind of just have to refocus. Like mostly, I don't want to be stranded anywhere, and I yeah. don't want to give anybody an illness. Especially, I hang out with a lot of elderly people, mm-hmm. and I do a lot of prison ministry. And yesterday, yeah. I was supposed to go to the prison, and uh, I do worship at the prison from three to five on Wednesdays, mm. and it's canceled. Can't even go there because. Oh, wow. You know, obviously, if someone gets it in the, in the women's prison, it's just chaos there. So for the next yeah. two weeks, we're canceled, which is new, and I'm sure the women are disappointed, but that's the way it is. And so, similar, we don't have anything right now booked. We'll keep people posted, but honestly, we could use this time to focus <laughs> and write songs or not write songs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> write lyrics or not write lyrics. Um and definitely because, like you said, you have yeah, well, you have a podcast, so that keeps you busy. I have a podcast too. I was I was gonna I was gonna get to that. Tell me a little bit about your new podcast. Well, it is called Too Punk to Be a Hippie, <laughs> and it is about my my journey, which I've been on for a long time now, to uh, basically to start focusing on caring about the earth, caring about health. Mm-hmm. Caring about the food that we put in our bodies, composting, gardening, essential oils, all that hippie crap that people in Denver definitely care about <laughs> and that I've been, you know, very, very hobbyist about. But mm-hmm. I do care. So I'm learning. So I'm interviewing people because it will help keep me accountable and informed. Very cool. And that's, and that we can find that all, it's too punk to be a hippie. That's all one word, correct? Right. T-O-O. Too punk to be a hippie. Okay. So question for you. Yeah. Um, is there any tendencies that you have that are that are hippie-oriented or health-oriented? Uh, not nearly as much as I should be. But That's... would you like to be? Are there things... Okay, so let's put it out there. Are there, is there a couple things that you'd like to learn more about or that you'd be into? Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I want to get healthier, for right. sure. Um and I, I don't do a very good job of recycling. Okay. Uh, I got a long way to go in all of those areas. Right. Isn't that the thing? So that's the truth. So it's very, um, it's a very high horse hobby because it feels like either you know everything and you jump in or you are a fool for a long time. And it's a lot of trial and error and possibly yeah. expensive. And so for me, the, the biggest things in the beginning was purchasing power. Mm-hmm. If I can buy this paint or this paint, why not buy this paint? If I can buy this mattress or this mattress, why not buy that mattress? Mm-hmm. If I can, you know, there's certain things like that, certain choices in the beginning. And there's still some I'll say I don't do. But now we're going to look at organic food. Now we're going to look at, you know, this this spring I will for the first time start composting. Cool. And this is my fourth year on a garden. <laughs> and those are small. But, dude, it's big. It really yeah. is big. And the small things are the big things. And if I don't learn them, how am I going to teach my kids, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 
And my kids, they're 10 steps ahead of me. You know, they're, they're 12 and 14 and they're like way ahead of me. They're like, I saw an email from my daughter on my computer and she's emailing senators to consider certain things. Oh wow. That's amazing. I was like, she's 12 and sixth grade. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the funniest thing is that the emails back says, hello, Inez. Thank you for being a constituent. I'm like, <laughs> she's not, <laughs> she's just a very concerned 12 year old citizen. Yeah. But anyway, the reason I made this is because unless we use humor, as an avenue for understanding what we don't know, we're going to be too intimidated to learn. Yeah. So the joke of this whole freaking podcast is how little I know. <laughs> and I have no problem saying that. So if anyone's listening to this, reach out to me if you think you would want to be a guest. If you know something, you know how to make kombucha or kefir or who knows what you know. Just contact me and I want to get you on. Yeah. And not just if you have a strong opinion, but you might want to know something too. <laughs> That's awesome, and just uh, and it's it's all one word. I know I said yeah. that before, but that yeah, you'll you'll put a link for them. You'll make it easy. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. I, but I just if somebody doesn't look at the links, I just want to make sure because I had a, when I first knew oh, the yeah. name, I was putting the spaces in there and was having a oh, hard time yeah. finding it. So uh, awesome. I did have you know at least one more thing I wanted to ask about. If that's cool, if you're still good on time. Oh, go for it. Okay. Um, so obviously, you know. It's you, know, you guys talk about it in the documentary. Um, how do you ha how have you guys dealt with, or has it been an issue at all, kind of evolving faith stuff with different members? And I'm sure lots of people ask you that. Um, yeah, so I'm sorry, that's I'm just that's retraining. Fine. This is one of those things that I think is an important conversation that we don't have enough. Mm -hmm. And that conversation is how do we respect the fact that faith is fluid, mm -hmm. Whether or not we want to admit it, even for people who would say they're quote-unquote believers or Christian, mm -hmm. for all of us, faith is fluid. We are not going to believe what we signed up for 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, and so how do we resolve the idea that we don't all believe the same things? Mm -hmm. Well, for one, none of us believe the same things we did nine years before we broke up. But the other thing was, how do we respect each other as brothers and sisters mm -hmm. in humanity? And so the truth is, these are my brothers in life. Mm -hmm. um, for me, they're just, that, that's, that's a deal breaker. It's like a marriage. I love them. The band can't exist without all of us. And I don't want other people. I do not want to do it with other people. I want yeah. to do it with them. And we all feel that way. So um, for the two members that we have, one considering himself an agnostic, one an atheist, mm -hmm. they very much agreed to the lyrics being, um, I guess we use the word redemptive, songs yeah. of hope. And they even understood and respected that Reese himself comes from a, um, an extreme faith in Jesus. Mm. And, and so do I. And so some of us do. And we said, do you, are you okay with this? And we said, yeah, we can be okay with the idea that there's hopeful sub subjects and that you believe in this. I can get behind this because I respect you and I love you. And so at the end of the day, I think for all of us, it's just a matter of respect. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's not weird for us. Like, yeah. It, it wouldn't be any weird if you had a sibling that was, you know, changing their faith or um, adapting their faith. Everybody goes through different thoughts. And for me, it's just a matter of recognizing that we're all on a spectrum and we don't always, uh, it's not as simple as black and white anymore. And it, and it yeah. really never was. We just had the illusion of it when we yeah. were younger because we could say Christian music and not Christian music. Yeah. And, um, and, and now we don't have to have to give in to any label either so there goes that pressure one of the things that's a little bit harder to explain is why we don't play shows at churches or christian festivals and it's mm -hmm. a little bit of a struggle in that 
it's not that we don't love what a Christian festival um, stands for, but to some degree, it's like we want everyone to feel comfortable on that platform. And the yeah. other thing is for churches, no offense, but they're not buildings designed for live music. No. And yeah. we are the most high-maintenance ska band ever. <laughs> we want to sound good. If you're going to spend money and you want to see us, come to a bar. We'll be opening up for MXPX, and it will be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way you want to see Five Iron. You don't want to see us with pews. Yeah. Awesome. You know, unfortunately, I think – I don't – I don't think I've ever seen you guys in an actual club setting, so that's going to have to change whenever you guys do make your way out here to the Northeast. Right, right. Um, I've seen. Yeah, it. so it's it's a different setup because to have amazing live sound and a proper venue, it takes the music to another level, and that's how it should be. I think that's how it should be um, enjoyed. That's the way to say it. How it should be enjoyed. You wouldn't want to see the best movie in the world at the church gym on a screen, would yeah. you? With a sound bar. Yeah. <laughs> no. So let's just be honest. The way live music was meant to be, you know, consumed is after one ba- one one or two beers. <laughs> yeah. At a really good show with lights and a yeah. nice mosh pit. Let's be honest. <laughs> awesome. and, and the balcony for the over 40 crowd, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'm going to be honest, my favorite, my favorite is playing venues that are all ages. Mm-hmm. Where a dad can come with their kids. And then their old 60-year-old, I'm sorry, 60 is not old, I get it, but a 60-year-old old former youth pastor can be laughing his head off and yeah. saying, I used to bring the kids to this show, and I still <laughs> like it. You know, speaking of parenting, you know, do your, do your, are your kids into Five Iron, um, or do they, you know, do they think it's cool, or is it just kind of, that's what mom does? I don't know. At first, their teachers thought they were lying, because... <laughs> When they were very little, they would talk about me going on tour and I had tattoos. And then they also told their parents that I was a pastor. And so we got two home vi- home visits in one year <laughs> by teachers that were very confused. Yeah. Um, and we, we, we invited them over because we were like, obviously you're confused. This is this is a bit much. And our kids are not lying that mom's a rock star and a pastor. <laughs> but it is a bit much for you. Yeah. Um, you know, on the weekends, are we spending our weekends setting up cots for homeless people? Yeah. Does my five-year-old daughter know about calling detox? Yeah. Like, this is just our life. Yeah. Um, as far as do they think it's cool, I don't know. It's right on the cusp. My son, who was almost 14, came to Seattle last year, and he played trumpet with us yeah. on stage, which was cool. But I don't think he would ever tell his friends about Five Iron. Definitely <laughs> not. It's, it may be just too out there, you know? Yeah. Um, same with my daughter. Like, she's in jazz band. She plays saxophone. Like I said, she's 12. Um, they're band geeks like me, but I don't think that it's to the level where you can tell your friends that your mom is a rock star because you it's just not cool. No, your mom's not cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'm always, you know, like like we discussed on the phone the other day, I, I have a three-year-old and I, I always wonder because he's grown up surrounded by me trying to play cool music and... <laughs> you know sing cool songs to him and i'm just wondering if his rebellion is just going to go the complete opposite way so we'll we'll see what happens i don't care about being cool what i do care about is that they appreciate that the sacrifices that i make are not just for music i never want them to think that mom's not home because she loves music or she loves an audience even though i do i really do yeah and playing live for me is the cherry on top as far as five iron goes like for some of the guys it's recording for some it's writing for some it's lyrics for me it's the people i meet when i'm traveling and the friendships that i make but i don't want them to think it's just for music it really has to do with a message of hope 
and and kind of what we were talking about, just equality and recognition that we're all in this together, whether we're on the same page or not. I think the messages underlying in Five Iron are way bigger than than the rock show. I hope people go home from the from seeing the show or from hearing the album and go, yeah, I matter. I freaking matter. I'm awesome. <laughs> and, and other people matter, and they're awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that. Do you have anything else that you want to plug? I know we already got the podcast. Yeah, going. I just I do want to say to people who haven't been keeping up with Five Iron Frenzy, please keep up with us again because new things are going to happen. Like we're not done yet. Awesome. <laughs> there's there's more to come out of us, and it's taking a long time. But honestly, I think it's worth it. Like I really do. I feel that whatever's happening um, these days with Five Iron. Only good can come out of it. Only good can come out of us being honest and us fighting for new songs. Awesome. Well, thank you. Like I said, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I have been a big fan for, as I said, like back, like back to like my middle school days. So right. getting to talk to you is super exciting. And I, I you know, I, you know, hopefully next time you're uh, somewhere in the Northeast, I will get to meet you in person again because it's that would be cool. a long time. <laughs> Well, thanks for having me on. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Leonor, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed this one. If you're listening to this, please make sure you go out and follow and like and subscribe and all the other things you do to podcast uh, to Too Punk to Be a Hippie. Leonor is doing some really cool things, talking about really cool ideas in a really interesting way, and you should definitely check that out as well as you know checking out Five Iron and check out that Fast Feeling record. There, I really dug that one. Some really fun tunes on there. Anyway, to close out the episode, you're gonna hear Factions by the Fast Feeling. If we didn't sell it on you before, hopefully uh, after listening to that track, you'll want to check it out. So thank you so much, and I will talk to you all very soon. Bye.